if this is your first time to RUF, let me tell you a little bit about what we're about. Um, in the book of Mark, chapter 2, all these religious people see Jesus, and he is hanging out with all of the sinners and kind of the reprobates of the village that they're in. And in Mark 2, chapter 16 through 17, these religious kind of churchy people come up to him and his disciples, and they ask his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus like, overhears them, and he says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the thing. At RUF, we acknowledge that we are all sick. None of us have it together. And if you're looking around the room and you think that this looks like a room full of people who have it together, that's just how messed up we are, that we're, we're that hypocritical. Like, that we would try to make it look like we have it together. We don't. We're a room full of broken people who need, who need putting back together again. And the good news of the gospel is this, that God doesn't look at us in our, in our sin and in our brokenness and say, you need to clean up and then you can come to me. You need to fix yourselves up and then you can come to me. No, what he does is God pursues broken sinners and he goes after them in their sin and brokenness. And because he loves them, he redeems them from that and then he begins to put them together again by his grace. And so at RUF, this is a place for people who are Christians looking to grow, for people who are trying to figure out if they even want to believe in Christianity, for skeptics, for people who are burned out. Wherever you are, you're welcome here. We want you here. We're excited to have you here because this is a place where we're honest about our need for, for grace because we don't have it together. And we've, the reason that we're honest about that is because that's what we think the Bible says about people all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, that people need God's grace, and God, because he's gracious, is glad to give it to them. He's glad to give them grace. And so what we're going to do this semester, I'm really excited about this, we are, as I said, this story goes from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to look at the last book of the Bible this whole semester, the book of Revelation, and see how that same story that God, he comes and pursues broken sinners. That is the story of Revelation. That there is hope for the lost and the broken. And that there is encouragement for those who are seeking to be faithful and to follow him. Now, when I've told people that I'm preaching through the book of Revelation, this is usually the reaction I get. Yikes. Or, whoa. Right? Because... A lot of Christians, we kind of treat the book of Revelation like the drunk uncle at the New Year's Eve party. That's kind of how we treat Revelation, let's be honest, Christians. Like, it's like, you know, if you ever, if you have a drunk uncle and you're like, you like bring maybe your girlfriend home to meet the family, you try to keep her away from the drunk uncle because you don't know what he's going to say. Like, don't, you know, don't get him started on tax reform or like some random subject that's like his platform. And we're kind of like that with the book of Revelation, like, oh goodness, like, I have a friend who's maybe new to the faith and considering things. Like, make sure they don't get anywhere close to the book of Revelation. Like, don't, and don't get him started on, like, beasts and dragons and stuff, you know. Just keep him in the corner and let's focus on something else. But 
I actually think that the book of Revelation is, it is it's written to encourage people who are seeking to follow Jesus and to stir up the imagination of those who are considering following Him. And, and to stir up their imagination to answer this question. Is it worth it? Is following Jesus in this world worth it? Is it worth the cost? Okay, just as a brief intro before I read our passage, there are a lot of challenges to understanding the book of, of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. I'll name a couple of them. One of them is the imagery that's used throughout the book. I already named a couple of them. Beasts, dragons, um, locusts, lamps. There's all, these, there's all these different images. And here's the thing. All of those images that I just named are images that are taken from the Old Testament. And one of the challenges for us as we study the book of Revelation together this semester is this. We don't know the Old Testament very well. We just don't talk about the Old Testament a lot in the American church. And so what that means is we're going to often have having to be referencing the Old Testament. There's a, um, a New Testament scholar named Moses Stewart who was brilliant. He lived in the 1800s. And his students came up to him and they said, hey, we want you to teach us. He's a New Testament scholar. They said, we want you to teach us about the book of Revelation. And so he goes and begins studying, preparing to teach his students in his seminary about the book of Revelation. He comes back and he's like, I have no idea what the book of Revelation is about. And so he set out for the next 10 years studying Old Testament Hebrew prophecy. In order, for to, in order for him to understand what the book of Revelation is about, he had to go back to the Old Testament because the author of Revelation, John, is constantly referencing the Old Testament because he's writing to many people who've converted from Judaism to Christianity. Christianity began as a Jewish sect. And so they were well-versed in their Old Testament. So that's going to be one of the challenges that we're going to have as we do this. Another challenge, another challenge is this, that there's a lot of differing interpretations of the book of Revelation. Like, is the, is the book of Revelation mostly about the past? Is it about the future? Is it about what's happening in the Middle East right now? Is it about the Left Behind books and that awesome Nicolas Cage movie? The Left Behind Look, if Nicolas Cage was in it, you know that was historically accurate, right? Like, National Treasure is basically American History 101. Anyway, like, but there's all these different interpretations about what is the book of Revelation about, and we're going to have to sift through that as we, as we go about that process. Third, there, there has been a lot of misuse of this book historically. Um, misuse even in the sense of, in, in an abusive way. To kind of beat people, people have been beat up with the book of Revelation. Or have been, um, the, some people's interpretations and teaching on the book of Revelation has been cause for Christian paranoia. Or Christian, or withdrawing from the world and waiting for the end times. And not engaging with culture and the world around. Or, or people, Harold Camping has tried to, he's predicted the last day, the end day, 12 times from the book of Revelation. He's failed. He's 0 for 12 so far. But you know, people have taken the book of Revelation and it, it's because it's written in, in imagery and 
difficult to understand. It can be manipulated and even sometimes almost abusive. Listen to what G.K. Chesterton, um, a 19th century uh, theologian and thinker, listen to how he describes what I'm talking about. He says, And though St. John, the author of Revelation, and though St. John saw many monsters in his vision of Revelation, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own interpreters. You see what he's he's getting at? The greatest monster in the book of Revelation are sometimes the people who are interpreting it. And so now maybe you're sitting here thinking, all right, why are we going to do this? Why are we going to spend an entire semester studying this really hard book to understand. And I think it's this. I think that God in his wisdom has given us a very precious and unique book. The book of Revelation. And he has purposefully made it the last book in the Bible because it, it finishes the story in a beautiful and magnificent way. And it finishes the story and it does this. It helps us better know who Jesus is. And so that's why I want to study Revelation with you guys. Because I want you to better know who Jesus is. And Revelation is going to help you think about this question. Is following Jesus worth it? So let me, um, let me read to you this introduction passage in the book of Revelation. one, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. You can read along with me on the handout. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Father, would you please be with us now? Would you help the one who speaks and would you help all those who listen? Uh, For we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that we might rest in your love even as we consider these words as we consider this book that's hard to understand, but that you've given to us because you love us. And so we pray that we would see that now. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. Okay. So, three points I've got for you tonight, okay? Why we need revelation is that that's point number one. Point number two 
the substance of revelation, and three, what revelation does. Okay, why we need it, the substance of it, and what it does. Okay, first off, why we need it. Um, so, the time that this book was written, first century, Christians are living in Rome. They make up 0.6% of the entire Roman population. They are a speck of dust in the Roman Empire. And not only are they a speck of dust, but they are a speck of dust that is getting trampled on day after day after day. Because being a Christian in Rome, it stunk. It was hard. People were persecuted daily. And there's all kinds of stories that we'll probably get to at some point about the kinds of things that they were enduring. Suffering unlike many of us could ever imagine. Physical suffering. Social suffering. And we need revelation because the reality is this. It was hard to be a Christian it was hard to follow Jesus in the first century. And they must have been asking the same question. Is it worth it? And here's the thing. It's hard to follow Jesus today. It's not easy. And following Jesus actually means that you will suffer. Listen to what Jesus tells his own disciples that he loves. In John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they, persecute, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What Jesus is telling his disciples, that he loves, the night before he's about to go and die for them, is that following me is hard. And it costs you something. And I bet, I, look, I know your stories. A lot of you, not all of you. I want to know all of your stories. But I know that for those of you who are following Jesus, who are trying to follow him, there has to, there's, there's just been times where you've wondered, is it worth it? The things that you have suffered, and you have probably wondered, really, God? Really, I'm, I'm trying to follow you and be faithful to you, and you're going to let this happen to my family. Or I'm trying to follow you and be faithful to you, and you're going to let this happen to my parents, or to my friends, or to me. Following Jesus hurts. And something, you, know what, you know what else it hurts? It hurts when you're trying to be faithful to him. Being faithful to him on a Friday night hurts. It, 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 just, it just means that like socially things might get awkward and hard sometimes. And difficult. And the question that comes up, I'm sure, in your mind, as it does in mine, is this. Is it worth it? Um, maybe you're here. <laughs> I hope, I, I know 
some of you are here. You're here and you're thinking about becoming a Christian and now you're like, why would I ever want to do this? Why, it's this really, really challenging, hard thing that I'm going to suffer. Why would I ever, ever sign up for this? And the book of Revelation gives us the answer. It gives us the answer because Revelation is going to reveal to us more about this guy this guy who was an uneducated nobody who lived in Nazareth, who was the son of a carpenter, who lived in anonymity for 30 years. Nobody knew who he was. He was just like fixing people's tables at his dad's carpentry shop, I guess. You ever think about that? Like someone went in and got their table fixed by Jesus and then left and like that was it. But the Son of God just like fixed their table. He lived in anonymity for 30 years. His followers, not only that, his own mother and brothers thought he was God. My mom likes me a lot. She does. Like whenever a picture of me gets posted on Facebook, she's the first person to comment. It's pretty obnoxious. She does not think I'm the Son of God. His own mother and family said he's God. And the book of Revelation comes along and it reveals even more of who this man is. And he says here in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. What he's saying is that I am the beginning and the end. Every subatomic particle has its, its existence because of me. Every mountain, every galaxy, every lion, everything has its beginning in me, and I am the end of all those things, too. They all exist for him. He's made them for his glory, and we get to participate in that. And he's saying, here's the thing. If you're considering Christianity, you have to reckon with that guy. You have no option to say, you know what? He was a pretty cool guy. Like, that's awesome that Jesus, he was like a different kind of religious follower because he hung out with the bad people and he loved, uh, he, he was kind to the prostitutes and the sinners and he cast out demons from people and he healed people. I'm into all that stuff, but I just don't want to like follow him. But he doesn't, he doesn't leave the option of just thinking he's a nice person because he claims to be God. And the only people who do that are sociopaths or God. The option to just say he's a nice guy, like, that, that, that doesn't make rational sense. So we have to reckon with him as he's presented in the Bible and in the book of Revelation. So I think, I think he's worth considering. And I want to look, secondly, at the substance, the substance of the revelation. Um, now, we get, the, we get the word revelation from the Greek word apocalypsis. You might hear a word that we get from that, apocalypse. It means, apocalypsis means to reveal or to uncover. Now, what that means is this. Revelation isn't written to confuse you. It's actually meant to reveal things to you. It's, it's, there's a great cartoon that illustrates this. Um, 
People write Revelation cartoons. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, um, <laughs> it's my next hobby. I'm going to work on that one. Um, anyway, so there's a cartoon, and in it, there's this f- theology student who's studying Revelation chapter 9, where it's got this cre- like all these creatures with like um, a part of it's a, a part of a, a locust, and part of the, this animal is like part of a, a horse, and it's part human. And the, the, the theology student is on one side studying this text, and the other one is a first-grade kid studying the text, okay? And the theology student is like, he's deep in thought, and he's saying that the horse symbolizes this, and the locust symbolizes this, and the part that's part man symbolizes this. And then the first-grader looks at the same picture, and he says this, awesome, a monster! And the kid is the one who kind of, he is tracking with how to read the book of Revelation. Because it's, it's written to ignite your imagination with these creatures and these images. And what it does is it uncovers and reveals the way the world really is. Because we do live in a world with monsters. It's almost like, I, I bet most of y'all watch Stranger Things. Did y'all watch Stranger Things? Oh man, so good. Okay, so Stranger Things, season two, Will Byers is at the arcade, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, you know, but whatever thing happens to that creepy little child happens, and like all of a sudden, he's still in the arcade, but now he's in the Upside Down. And if you haven't watched this, the Upside Down is like, you're in the same geographic place, but now like all the people are gone, and there's this weird like flaky dust that's falling from the ground that I've never really understood. Anyway, and there's, um, there's like cobwebs and stuff everywhere, and he walks out of the arcade, and he looks into his tiny town of Hawkins, Indiana, Indiana where he lives, and he, looks, and he sees the shadow monster. You know what I'm talking and, and then all of a sudden, like, his other kind of dorky little friend comes and, like, wakes him out of the upside down. What's that kid's name? Anyway, Finn, is that it? Anyway, um, so... So here's the thing. Will Byers, Will Byers sees how Hawkins, Indiana really is when he's in the Upside Down. Because Hawkins, Indiana is about to be invaded by monsters. And he's the, he's the one who sees it. Because he gets, he gets a, to peer behind the curtain for a second. And what John is doing, the reason this is called the apocalypse, the revelation, revealing, uncovering, unveiling, this is is Jesus to people who are suffering and are wondering, is it worth it? Like, I'm suffering and this world is hard and my friend just got burned alive because he's following Jesus. Is it worth it? And John is saying, come here. Let me peel back the curtain for a second. I want to show you something. I want to show you how the world really is and that there's hope. There's hope in the midst of your suffering right now. Wherever you are, there's hope. What it does, what this revelation does, is it lets us see how things really are. And not only that, so it's, it's apocalyptic, but it's also, we see in verse 3, that it's, a, he calls it a prophecy. It's prophetic. Now, we need to define that term because we think typically 
of prophecy as foretelling the future. Of foretelling something that's going to happen. Now, that's partly true, but in the Bible, the way that prophets typically work, what they do is they don't foretell the future, they forthtell what God is doing presently. So, Revelation is less about foretelling and more about forthtelling God's intentions and his purposes for his people and his world. And he's speaking this. I hope, like, look, I hope that this, like, maybe eases some tension for you. Like, so, like, because, like, if a war broke out in the Middle East, like, you don't have to run to the book of Revelation and be like, okay, um, are the locusts like the Apache helicopters that are now... And that symbolizes, like, we can get lost in that. that what, what John is doing is he is forthtelling, this is, this is the big picture of what God's going to do in the world. So it's apocalyptic. The substance of Revelation is apocalyptic. It's prophetic. And it's also, it's pastoral. Did you notice that this is a letter written to seven churches in Asia? That they just got this letter from John, and they read it aloud, and they were probably like, whoa, this is super trippy, and now we've got to give it to the next people, and let's remember it, and write copies down, and remember this, and we're going to study this. It's a letter, and it's a letter, and it's pastoral. It's written for people who are suffering. It's written to people who are tempted to assimilate to the world around them. It's written to people who have grown stagnant in their faith, who are apathetic about what they believe, So, in summary, the substance of Revelation is it's apocalyptic, meaning it's an unveiling of the way things really are. It's prophetic, meaning it means it communicates God's purposes and intentions. And third, it's a pastoral letter, meaning it's both challenging and encouraging God's people. And finally, I want you to see this. If you haven't been listening to me at all, listen to this one thing. This is going to help you understand the book of Revelation for the rest of your life. In verse 1, in verse 1, the very first words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's not announcing, John is not announcing the title of the book. He's announcing the topic of the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. When he writes that, he's not announcing the title of the book he's writing. He's announcing This is what this book is about. Revelation, Revelation is all about the Christ. It's not, it's actually not all about the Antichrist. Spoiler alert, the word Antichrist actually isn't even in the book of the Revelation. Did you know that? And we don't call it Revelations. It's the Revelation. You know, sometimes when you refer, if you've heard someone refer to Revelation, they call it the, the, like Revelations. It's not Revelations. It's not about multiple different things we have to figure out. It's centrally and primarily about the revelation of who Jesus is. And you know what? That's what the whole Bible is about. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about answering and revealing who is this God-man. And what we see is that in the book of Revelation, there's no message that you will find in Revelation that's not also in the first 65 chapters of the Bible. 
Do you know that? There's nothing new or novel that's in Revelation that's, that's not also in the first 65 chapters. I mean, if you even look at the passage, all the stuff that it says about Jesus in verses 5, 6, and 7, you can get all that. All that stuff is from different parts of Scripture he's referring to. And what, he, what the message is saying, it's confirming this, that God made a good creation that he loves. And we have ruined his creation with our sin, and the wages of our sin is death. And yet, God, God became a man. And he sent his son to die to secure salvation for sinners who don't deserve it. And so that anyone who might believe in him could have everlasting life. You see that in what it says in verse 6. That by his blood, by his blood, he frees us from sin. And this is what I want you to see. Final point, what, what Revelation does. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. What Revelation does is it blesses you. And the reason it blesses you is because Jesus is the blessing. It reveals to you more of who this man is. And that's going to bless you to know, who, to know him. To more deeply know him and see how much he loves you. It's a blessing because it reveals that Jesus, to the question that we have, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to suffer? Is it worth it to, to leave my old life behind this, on all the things that I love and to follow him? Is it worth it? Revelation is going to reveal who Jesus is and that, yes, he is. He's worth it, y'all. He's just, he is. There um, was this woman named Helen Rosevere. She was a missionary in the Congo for 20 years, from 1953 to 1973. Helen died in 2016. This dear British lady, you can type in her name on YouTube and listen to her talk. She's just this like sweet British lady with like the little white afro, you know, and the glasses, you know, like the white afro hair that like our grandmothers all have. Is there like an age where it's like, okay, now you have to have a white afro haircut? I don't know. Get back to me on that. But this sweet Helen Rosevere, she tells a story about being a missionary in the Congo as a single woman who was a doctor for 20 years. And specifically in the early 60s in the Congo, there was an immense amount of political unrest. Most of the foreign aid workers left the country. But Helen stayed because she loved the people and she wanted to serve them because she believed it was Jesus' calling for her to be there for those people and care for them. And some of the very people that she cared for one night who were rebel soldiers, they kicked Helen's door down. And she tells the story of these men removing her from her home and raping her. And taking, taking her and kicking her so hard that they knocked her teeth out. And taking her handwritten 10-year-old memoir of her experience that she has no other copies of and burning it in front of her face and mocking her and laughing at her. And through bloody teeth, she whispered this question out loud. Is it worth it? 
And she says, when she tells the story, that suddenly she felt the divine presence of God with her. And her question changed to a statement. And she said, Oh, Jesus, you are worthy. As they mocked her and laughed her. And she said, the reason, as she tells the story, the reason I could say that is because I know he was with me right then. He was with me in my suffering. He's with you so much in your suffering that he went to the cross. He went to the cross and no one was with him so that you would never be alone in your suffering. Because he loves you. Because he loves sinners like me and you. Jesus, Jesus is worthy. Why? Because he's with us in our suffering. And y'all look, verse 5. He frees us from our sins. He's not worthy just because he died to forgive you, but also because, look, he's the firstborn of the dead. He rose to give you life. He rose to give you life. He frees you from your sins. He does, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say, it doesn't say that you need to free yourself and then come to him. It says he comes to sinners and he frees them. He does the freeing by faith in him. He does it because he's gracious and he loves you. And so if you're suffering, you can have hope that he is with you. And not only that, you can have hope that one day he's going to do everything about all the death in this world because he's the firstborn of the dead and he has defeated it by his resurrection. Two weeks ago, I'll close with this. Two weeks ago, I was, uh, I do like a monthly retreat where I just go and pray for you guys and um, read and hike. And I was on my retreat and I got a text message from my mom and she told me about my friend Matthew. Um, Matthew was my carpool ride for seven years in elementary school. I know like I know like every early 90s country music song ever because of Matthew Wilcoxon. <laughs> and I would ride with him, and we would trade baseball cards, and I got to walk into school with one of my best friends every day. And he was this like larger-than-life person. He was like six foot eight, 330-pound country boy who has a lawn mowing business. He's like the opposite of me, basically, in every way. And just swallows you in a hug when you see him. And my mom texted me and told me that Matthew, when he was driving to work two weeks ago, was hit by a truck and died immediately. And left his wife and his two little girls behind. And look, there's just, I know this, there's so much death in this world, and I know that there's so much death that's that people in this room have faced. And if you haven't faced it, one day you will. And I just, 
Y'all, the book of Revelation is written because Jesus, he defeated death. And one day all of us are going to have to face that. We're all going to face death. And you don't have to face it alone. He's with you. The revelation of Jesus Christ is that he is in your midst, in your suffering. He's not abandoned you because he loves you. And he offers that freely by faith. He is worthy. He's worth it. So, look, I hope you'll come. This is going to be a fun series, but I hope you'll come because what, what Revelation 1 says is that we're just going to be blessed to get to read this and study this together. We're just going to learn more about Jesus and who he is. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you that you would love us so much that while we were still sinners, that you would send our Lord and our Savior, Christ Jesus, to die for us. And so we thank you. And we thank you that you are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.